may have noticed, as I was saying earlier, that things look and sound a little different today. Susan is away, and I'm wearing different vestments, including this fancy stole-like thing called a tippet. And our altar looks a little bare. These are all visible signs that we are doing, as I said earlier, morning prayer this morning. As a deacon, I'm not able to celebrate the Eucharist and offer that sacrament. So this weekend is a perfect time to return to our roots and experience the gift of our daily office services. For those of you who have been Episcopalians long before 1979, you, you may recall that this was the norm for most Sundays. Rather than having Eucharist every week, morning prayer would be said about three times a month, with communion occurring just once a month. This came to be for many reasons, including some very practical ones. There weren't enough ordained clergy for the Eucharist to take place each week at every parish. With our latest prayer book, that's the one in your pews, our church shifted and renewed its focus on the Eucharist. That meant that the service of Holy Eucharist replaced morning prayer as the principal Sunday service. Don't worry, morning prayer could still be prayed to in addition to Eucharist or in a circumstance like today when there's no priest. While some of us who only know the Eucharist as the Sunday service might have got grown attached to weekly Eucharist, I actually find that switching it up is a nice change in pace. Often, when we alter our routines, even ever so slightly, we discover new things while also longing for the old. As I mentioned, in our service of morning prayer, the order is distinctive from the service of Eucharist. The daily offices, that's what we call services like morning and evening prayer, with the word office referring to service and daily referring to the frequency we should be using them. These offices are grounded in the ancient Benedictine monastic tradition, where the emphasis is a threefold one, the Psalms, the scriptures, the prayers. Because of this, our daily office has its own lectionary that's different from the three-year one we use for Eucharist services. The daily office lectionary goes through the Bible in only two years. And all 150 psalms every month. It's a lot of reading and meditating on scriptures. It also includes canticles, which are the scripture passages that we sang today after every lesson. There's that emphasis on scripture. And in a little bit, we'll enter that third and final section, the prayers. 
where a series of colics can be prayed, and we'll even have some dedicated silence for a time of private intercessions. Perhaps one of the biggest differences between the daily office and the Eucharist is the fact that you don't need someone to be ordained to lead the liturgy. The role of the officiant, that's the role that I am today, can be an ordained person or a laity. Okay, I definitely skipped one other major difference between morning prayer, evening prayer, and Eucharist. There, if you were to look in your prayer book right now, you would notice that there's no rubric or title or heading for a sermon. Again, this service is emphasizing the meditation on scripture and prayer. You're invited to read, listen, pray, and inwardly digest the scriptures, not just during the service, but throughout your entire day. Don't worry, a sermon can still be given, not breaking any rules, but it's not required like it is for the Eucharist. And when it's given, it's usually in the form of a homily, which means it's shorter, about half to three-fourths the length. We'll see, though, if I actually reach that. Uh, but the homily can just be another way to invite further reflection and digestion of the scriptures. So today, in our scripture readings, we've returned to the gospel according to Mark. And we've got a major problem on our hands. Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before eating, which I personally cringe at in this current COVID environment. And so we enter the story when some people have called Jesus and his followers out on their failure to follow the purity laws of the Hebrew Bible. The people accusing Jesus and the disciples of breaking the law are the Pharisees. They're a first century Jewish sect known for adhering strictly to the oral and, tradi and traditional written law. Jesus, as we see, quickly addresses their claims. But it's really important to understand that in his response, Jesus isn't disregarding nor attacking the traditional purity laws and distinctions of clean or unclean the Pharisees are addressing. As a Jewish man, Jesus understands these laws are fundamental to his people and have shaped for centuries their own understanding and honoring of God. Instead, Jesus is pointing out an important problem. Sometimes our emphasis on keeping tradition can grow into something more than originally intended. And consequently, in this particular case, it can move away from God's original commandment. Jesus is trying to remove any barriers and help clarify and reveal the original intent of God's commandment. For, for Jesus, the emphasis on clean and unclean 
has more to do about right living and doing as clean rather than the unclean, sinful intentions of envy, theft, murder, and the rest of the laundry list of items he gives us at the end of that reading. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of being hypocrites, with the root of that word use meaning theater, or the one that answers from the stage. Jesus wants his followers to be more than actors of the word, but instead doers of the word. This means prioritizing the things that come from within as a way to orient ourselves towards God, creating an entire lifestyle devoted to God. This reading may sound like old versus new, tradition versus innovation, but that's not quite it. Both binaries are still necessary. Jesus is calling attention to the need for the Pharisees and all of us to determine what is most vital in our relationship with God. What is the most important thing? He wants us to get to that root. Sometimes we get bogged down with the stresses and excitement of work, school, life, in our routines, and our traditions, and even in our quests to keep up with the Joneses, that we unintentionally form barriers which distract us from what is vital in our relationship to God. The daily office, especially morning and evening prayer, give us a chance to pause, to meditate, and reflect. A chance to enter the rhythm of the monastic office so that we can pull down the fences and barriers that keep us from prioritizing God in our daily lives. That's why Christians around the world start and end their days using these ancient rhythms. As Anglicans, grounding our life in prayer is one of the most important things we do to maintain our relationship with God. The tradition of the psalmody, the scriptures, and the prayers equipped us to listen and open our hearts to God, even in the busy demands of our hectic, crazy world. I think I'm likely nearing the end of my homily limit, um, for those of you that are timing me. And so as we enter this third and final part of the liturgy, may you be encouraged to use the silence and the words of our prayers to draw deeper into a relationship with God. And when you leave today, May you continue to meditate, digest, and reflect on what you've heard and read, removing the extra barriers that hinder our ability to worship God, so that our prayers become actions and we become doers. Amen.